You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Our brother Jeff Thompson leads a fantastic, amazing ministry called 1012, and he's going to share a couple of minutes right here. Why don't we welcome him? Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Actually, I feel very welcome. My son actually feels a lot more welcome. He, I think he'll probably be back here every week. You guys had donuts. That was a, uh, that was a great thing. He's probably be like, "Daddy, can we go back to that church?" Um, but yeah, thank you guys again for having uh, for having me. Um, you know, I get blessed to lead in ministry called Ten Twelve Sports. It comes from Second um, Samuel chapter ten, verse twelve. It just says, "Be strong and let us fight bravely for our." city and for our people in the cities of our God. May the Lord do what is good in his sight. And um, just kind of wanted to tell you a story of one of our guys from the league. I'm reminded of a story about Jesus when he, uh, he came back to Galilee, Capernaum area. And uh, we've all heard the story about the, uh, the, the, the paralyzed man and his friends. Uh, but it's just very interesting. Um, if you guys never heard of it, you know, Christ comes back and he sets up shop where he is both teaching and healing people. And so you have a group of friends who have a, uh, a, a friend who's paralyzed. And in their minds, you know, they said, you know, let's bring him to Jesus, you know, because that is where he could be made whole. You know, that, they, there's some hope for him walking again uh, when he encounters Christ. And so they bring him on to where Christ is set up, and they— um, they have they find a problem. It's too many people, and so we all heard the story of where they climbed up on the roof and they lowered their paralyzed friend down to Jesus, and um, in which he encountered Jesus, he was healed spiritually. Where Christ, you know, confirmed that your sins are forgiven, but also healed in a very physical way of his ailment. Where Christ says, "Pick up your mat and walk." And so I, it's very, a couple, couple weeks ago, I got a text message, um, from a guy, I'll call him Jay. And so Jay, oddly enough, was brought to be a part of our flag football program through two of his friends. We call them the twins, Justin and Jordan. And so, uh, so, so a little bit about Jay. Uh, one of the things they told Jay is they said, you know what, we have fun, you know, we play football, but you're going to come here and you're going to be changed. You know, they told his friend this. You know, they they all they were all seniors in high school. Um, they said, you know, "Come be a part of this league. It's fun. You know, we do a lot of great stuff. Um, and but you're going to be changed. I don't know how to describe it, but other than you, you know, you're going to be changed." So, um, so Jay comes. Big big thing about Jay is Jay has an anger issue. You know, um, and anger in in football in the summer weather is just. It just, yeah, it gets a little messy sometimes. Um, and, and a bunch, hundred other teenagers from West Baltimore, 13, 18 years old. So it just, it just kind of gets messy. And so, um, so it's very interesting kind of paralleling, paralleling it with this story, uh, uh, you know, of Christ where you have friends that say, you know what, come and be a part of this life-changing thing. God is here. God is doing something powerful. Come be a part of it, you know. So they bring, they bring Jay along and Jay, uh, ends up, um, you know, being in the league and experiencing Christ and having his life changed in a way that many others can glorify from it, um, you know, just as they did, you know, with this paralyzed man. But I have this, uh, I wanted to show you guys a text that I got a couple weeks ago. It blessed my soul, and I'll just kind of read it out in case it's a little blurry. But it says, hey, Coach Jeff, hey, Coach Jeff, this is Blank. I played on the Eagles team with the Twins and Coach Charm. 
I wanted to say thank you for showing me the path towards the Lord. At first, I didn't have much faith, but being with the program showed me to have faith and loving God. Then don't always let anger control you. The reason for my text is because I'm spending my next four to five years as a student athlete at Charleston University in West Virginia. You know, and so that blessed me tremendously. And you think about kind of that story with Christ, how Christ said, you know, pick up your bed and walk. Where he said, your faith is, your faith is, 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 your sins are forgiven, but also pick up your mat and walk. A very spiritual healing and also a very tangible healing of his his ailment, you know. And so uh, it's been a blessing to see young men in Baltimore with that testimony, where they come and they experience Christ through football, through sports, uh, where they experience Christ and to the glory of the Lord, go on, go out and, and change their communities and change their families, you know, um, or see change in their families and, you know, see change in their schools because of what Christ is doing, you know, for them. So, uh, more about us, you know, we're ministry and what, what we do is we do, we use sports to do discipleship. We want to walk alongside of young men and create a culture where spiritual maturity and growth in Christ is something that's celebrated, you know, amongst teenagers. We work with teenagers 13 to 18 in West Baltimore. So we do discipleship, and then we also do job training stuff because we believe in, yeah, we believe part of discipleship is creating opportunities for young men um, in particular to excel um, you know, academically, um, spiritually, you know, socially, career, career-wise. And so uh, that is part of the good news that Christ can't, you know, has come to bring. So uh, I, I wanted to come, come speak because I wanted to just, uh, you know, one or two of you guys have been involved in volunteering, um, you know, in the, in the league. But I want to just encourage you guys um, to just, you know, to, to, to pray about becoming involved, um, in some way in the ministry. Um, it's such a cool aspect. Matt just told me a story about, about one of his guys saying, one of my guys this week saying, oh yeah, you're my godfather, you know, just kind of out of blue. So, uh, so, so, but, but just being able to have our young men experience, um, you know, whether it's folks from different cultures, folks from, you know, the same culture, folks that are willing to, to model servant leadership is huge. And in turn, I would love for you guys to see what God does in your heart and in your life and what you learn from, uh, you know, from these young men in West Baltimore. So we will be, you know, after service, we'll be um, sharing a little bit more. We'd love for, I mean, all of you guys to come out um, and hear about, you know, how you can get involved from, from spiritually uh, laboring for us in prayer, um, to, you know, face-to-face being a part of the life of, of one of these young men. So, again, thank you. Amen. Um, yeah, so uh, if you're like me, you look at our city, you're like, man, there's so much that can be done. And a part of me wants to, like, go to everything, but we also want to be wise. So we've identified just a few ministries that we want to really encourage you to be part of. And um, partly, I mean, honestly, some of this is just from getting to know Jeff. He's just a man of high character, and that means a lot for for me. So we wanted to walk with him. But they're also working with youth in, in West Baltimore, which I think is just a very relevant thing. So all right, at this time, I'm going to invite uh, Andy Greenfield to come up on stage with me and we have a special treat today. Uh, you don't get to hear me yelling at you for half an hour. So we've got uh, the teaching and preaching of one of our elders, Andy Greenfield. Thanks, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, 
Wow. So today's a um, regularly scheduled departure from our, our norm. Uh, we've been in James, um, but like I said last time, uh, we're in Mark when I'm up here. So last time as we were going through Mark, Jesus uh, comes onto the scene, gets baptized by John, and immediately steps out into the wilderness uh, to be tempted uh, by that that ever-present darkness that's uh, both outside and inside of us, it seems, at different times. And uh, crazy Jesus uh, doing crazy things, man. Uh, so, so he comes back from, from the wilderness, and uh, he, he immediately just starts his ministry. And uh, he, he says this thing. Uh, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of, of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And uh, last time we talked about this, that, that he's saying um, the strategies and the plans that we have are not necessarily the best strategies and the best plans. But he's come onto the scene with better strategy and better plan, and that plan is for him uh, to walk and live the life that, that we should, to be the human that we were designed to be, to show and model and direct that for us so that we can become more like him. And in becoming more like him, we become more of the human that we were always designed to be. So, then we come to um, 16 through 20, which we're talking about today. Uh, but before we do, I, I, I want to give us a direction to think in. Um, so here's, here's a picture. Uh, this is Dave. Uh, I, call, he, I call him Big Deal Dave. Uh, but this is Dave. Uh, the picture just shows you one thing. It shows you that this is somebody. <laughs> there's no background. There's no story. There's just Dave. There's not even Dave's shoulders or Dave's body. It's just Dave's head, a little bit of Dave's neck. And there's things like this that are really good. Uh, I, I would equate this with um, some of the songs that we sing in worship where uh, it's just about enjoying Jesus with as much as we know about him. And we're just kind of that real close together um, sometimes when I get really sentimental and, and I like, I'm just staring at my wife and start to water up in my eyes a little bit and, um, and I just see her, you know, really see her. And these are really good. They're emotional. They're good. We have no idea what's really going on, right? So here's this next one. Here's what's actually going on. <laughs> Dave's working at a retail music store talking to some lady, and he was listening, right? And the more that we pull back and the more of the picture that we see, it's a different, there's a different value there. Not that the first one's not good. The first one's very good. The second one is good as well. It's good because the more that we pull back and the more that we're able to see, the more that we're able to understand from something small the more that we can actually take action, the more that we can do. And so Jesus coming right off of these words to repent and believe in the gospel, these words are about stopping your strategy 
not doing something, about putting trust and faith in what he's going to do. And then this happens. So, uh, verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he sees James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So, Jesus just says, stop doing what you're doing, turn from that, repent, and then believe in me. And then it's like a cut scene, and all of a sudden the film kicks back up again, and he's walking along the seashore, and he sees a couple of guys fishing, probably fishing off of the shore, they've got a net casting a net out there. They're just doing their job. And we could take this and, okay, well, this sets up the scene, right? But if we know a little bit more, it tells us a little bit more. And, and here's, here's what I mean by this. Um, uh, maybe a way to think about this, a, a way to, um, to see and maybe focus ourselves in our culture, we have values. We have things that we think are very important, right? And not just Christian culture, but all culture has these big, sweeping values that come across everything. Sometimes it's um, schooling. So a lot of our parents, they, they want us to do schooling a certain way. It's all kinds of different things. One really big one that I'm going to bring up today um, is image, uh, self-image, the way that we look the way that we look and how it defines the way that we even see ourselves. It's huge in our culture. For us, this is one of those things that is just always under the surface, always being talked about, always something that's affecting you, affecting me, affecting the way that we look at the world. Sometimes we're too big, sometimes we're too small, sometimes we're too tall or too short. And the world is constantly telling us what we should look like how we should be. And then it comes up. It comes up when you're not with anyone else and you're just preparing yourself in the mirror or whatever and you get those little thoughts. Thoughts about love handles or thoughts about I should go on a diet or thoughts about whatever. And sometimes those things are good. I don't, I've never gone on a diet, but um, <laughs> some people, you know, um, that's not my that's not my problem. Um, mine's like, hey, you should work out or whatever, you know. You should like, you know. <laughs> I was talking to somebody. I was like, I'm bringing the hammer today, and they were like, you can't even pick up a hammer. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, um, but these things affect us, right? 
They affect us, and they affect us all in different ways. Guys are supposed to have those broad shoulders. They're supposed to have the big chest or whatever. And, and girls are supposed to have a certain look. But here's the problem is, is that the target keeps moving on us. As the culture changes, they keep going, okay, well, you, you need to be pretty. You need to look this way. But then, you know, in the 90s, you need to be really skinny. But then as we get further along, well, now, now muscles are important and all these different things. And the target's always moving, and we're always trying to keep up. And that, that sweeping thing that's happening, culture constantly telling us what exactly we need to look like and how exactly we need to be, affects us whether we want it to or not, whether we can get away from it or not, because we can't. There's just not a way to get away from it because it's everywhere. But not all cultures are this way. At least not all cultures are this way. Not all cultures have that as their primary value. And yes, I'm talking about kind of the, the dark underside of it. You could probably look at positives to it, right? Getting people to work out, getting people to be healthy, things like that. You could definitely sell it that way. But there's a dark underside to it too. And let's just be honest about it. So, did Jesus have this going on in his world? Was there a supreme value that ruled everything? Yes. Jesus was a part of a group of people that used to live in the land where, where he's currently at. They were captured, brought out of their land, and they had to live somewhere else for a really long time. Then they were able to come back, but they weren't free. They weren't free to be whoever, to do whatever. And the weird thing happened they internalized. They kind of came in on themselves to protect what they had and to protect who they were. And they began to make decisions about what was most valuable because they were being oppressed. And it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because what they solidified themselves around was the Scriptures. They were the people who were the people of God. They were the people who the words of God were passed down to and passed down through. And so the most supreme value in their culture was to learn this book. So much so that when you became five or six, you would start school. And in school, you would go to the local synagogue and you'd, you'd have like a little piece of slate and you would learn to read, you would learn to write and what you read and you wrote was this. You would begin to memorize the scriptures and from five or six to about 12 you would memorize the first five books of the Bible and you had a teacher, they would call him a rabbi. Uh, in the New Testament, in the gospel specifically you hear about them as a teacher of the law. That's what those were. They were your teachers. So, you'd come and you'd memorize the text. And they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and YouTube to, to melt their brains. So this is how they spent their time. Because this is what was most valuable. It was quite easy to put all your time and energy into something when your culture says, this is what is most valuable. And so this is what they did. And then when they got to 12, they became an adult. 
guys and girls. Uh, the a small difference between guys and girls. Guys would memorize the first five books of the Bible. Girls would memorize everything except for one, Leviticus, which is, I'm like, man, that's lucky. Um, <laughs> but they would memorize the Psalms instead because they were the worship leaders in their community. And so after that, you'd have different people at different levels, right? Some of us are really good at memorization, others not so much, especially when you're in a culture that really values it. You kind of learn the tips and the tricks on how to do it and do it well. So most people really had that down. But then at 12, you had the opportunity to go from about 12 to about 15 where you would continue on, right? Because there's the prophets, there's the writings, there's more things to memorize. But then your teachers would begin to explain to you what it all means, begin to show you patterns, show you how it's all working together, how it's telling one story. And then if you were really good and your parents are pushing you to be really good, you would be able to study with a rabbi that has authority. But when you turn 12, you have to start dividing your time so it becomes harder. Because when you're 12, now you're an adult and you've got to start learning the family trade. If you're a fisherman, you've got to learn how to fish. If you're a stonemason, you need to learn how to be a stonemason. And so you start spending time in the family trade and you're balancing your time between family trade and memorization, family trade and memorization. And some were really good, but it was a really small few. We actually only have recorded about maybe a couple of dozen, maybe 24, different of these rabbis that had this authority to be able to teach. And that's over a really long period of time, not all at once. So, why am I telling you all this stuff? Because we see that these men are fishing. Two of them are fishing with their dad. We know that Peter is a, um, he's at least 20, he's married, and he has to pay the temple tax, which if you look back into the Old Testament, you, pay the temp you start paying the temple tax when you're at least 20. So we know he's at least 20 or older. By the time you're 20, if you haven't gotten in with a rabbi yet, you ain't getting in. Your time is done. It's time to start the family business, time to keep going, be a good, godly man. But this path isn't the path for you. You're just not good enough for that. And here's how they did it. If you're really good... If you really, you could, you, you had all the Old Testament memorized and, and you could work with it. You saw the things that people wouldn't see. You could see and go, oh, I see in, in Amos, Amos quotes Leviticus these seven times and I know what they are. You would go to one of these rabbis with authority and you'd go, may I follow you? And they'd go, thanks for asking. I don't know, let's see. They would begin to test you, asking you questions, trying to understand, could you? Could you be like me? Could you follow me? Could you learn the things that I've learned? Can you understand the world the way that I understand it through these words of the Bible? And sometimes they go, 
yeah, you come, follow me. And other times I go, you are a godly man. Go and be a fisherman. So there's this level of rejection that happens. And here's Jesus. Walking along the sea. And he sees a couple men fishing. And he goes, you, follow me. That's not normal. That does not happen. (laughs) I've looked really hard for it to happen. Jesus is the only one who does it. There's one other rabbi. He, he did it a couple of times. But Jesus does it with all of them. He sees somebody who's been rejected. He sees somebody who's just doing a regular job. And he wants them to come and follow him. And the underlying thing is, is that he wants them to follow him because he thinks that they can be like him. Because that's what it is to follow a rabbi. So he sees a couple of guys fishing, casting a net, and he says, come, you come and you follow me. And they do. I mean, come on. An offer like that and a culture like that, where that's the supreme value, they would drop everything to do that. Sure, of course. So they go, they follow him. So let's, let's think about this for a second. So what is, what is a disciple? What is this thing? To, to follow a rabbi, this, this is to be a disciple. But, but what is that? What are we really talking about? We have things that we talk about. We have things that we say about what it is to be discipled or to be a disciple. We have ways that we think about it, right? But what, what's the way that Jesus thinks about it? What was the way that they thought about it? I used to equate it as uh, being a, a student or a, uh, an apprentice. But it's just not quite there. Uh, being an apprentice, you, you're, you're learning the trade. You're learning what he does. You're learning, okay, well, here's how he reads the scriptures. Here's how he talks about it. Here's how he lives, because that's just as important. Like, what he's, what he's saying is really important, but is he living it? And what does it look like? What does it look like for him to give money? How do you, how do, you do that? Who do you do it to? What does it look like for him to fast? What does it look like for him to love? Which ones of the rules are the ones that you follow the most and which ones are not as important maybe? And you have all these questions and you've got to follow and you've got to watch and you've got to see. But it's not just to be able to behave a certain way. It's not behavior modification. It's character changing. So it's, it's very much like child raising. Being a disciple is like being a child. I'll give you an example of it. I was, um, my family, we, we have oatmeal for breakfast every morning. And uh, uh, this was a while ago. My, my son, Samuel Timothy here, he, um, 
he just started watching me in a way that he had never watched me before. And I noticed it, and I didn't say anything about it. I mean, you know, kids are weird. (laughs) So I just kept, you know, day after day, we're eating oatmeal. That's what we do. And then one day, I noticed it. He was eating exactly like me at the same time as me, exactly like me. And I don't, <laughs> I, my wife told me I should tell you that I, that I do this. So uh, the way that I use a spoon is probably not normal. Um, so, you know, the little cut part, and you put it in, right, and usually you pull it out. Well, I, I found it more efficient to put it in, flip it over, and then pull it out because it fits the shape of my mouth, right? And it, this isn't this isn't this is all right, right? Okay. So, so I do this. So it wasn't a question of like, okay, well maybe he's doing this, maybe he's not doing this. Oh no, he's doing this just like me, just like me. And this is the, this is the weird. This is the way that God works in my life. Is that is that I'm have life experiences happen and then like these verses of the scripture will just like pop in and it's like oh 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 that's what I'm supposed to be like that's what it's like to follow you that's what it's like to be like you hmm okay okay so Jesus does a couple things we want to, I want to point out. He, he's walking along and he, he saw them. And then he calls them and asks them to follow him. So he sees them. He sees them, the ones that are rejected. He sees them, the ones that are not good enough. He really sees them. This wasn't a mistake. This was 100% on purpose. Because he does it time and time again. He doesn't do it with just these guys. He doesn't do it with just fishermen. He walks by a tax collector. And he goes, you, you come and follow me. He goes and hangs out with all the people on the outskirts of society. Sinners, prostitutes. He's hanging out with all the people that do not fit the thing. That highest supreme value. Because even when your highest supreme value is something so good as knowing the scriptures, it can get a dark side. And Jesus saw it. And Jesus was constantly fighting against it. Because it wasn't about knowing this. It was about knowing this and having it change the very DNA of who you are and how you live not because you need to be a certain way, but because you were designed to be a certain way. And he wants you to see it and see it so clearly so that you can know that it is the greatest good. It's the way to be at peace with all of humanity. So he says crazy things like, love your enemy and 
Pray for those who persecute you. Give to people who just (laughs) wouldn't even have an option to ever give back to you. And you're sitting there just going, how am I doing? How am I doing? So Jesus sees these people. And then he calls them. So if you don't think that you're good enough, or you have friends, you're at least here. But I think you have so many friends that would never even step foot in here. And some of it's because they've done too much. I get that all the time at work. It's like, oh man, I've just done too much. I could never go. It's like, don't you understand? That's the point. (laughs) That's the perfect reason to follow Jesus. Because you're the very person he's asking to come and follow. So, he sees them and he calls them. And he asks them to follow So he says, follow me. We mean a lot of different things when we say this. Sometimes we do like, you know, I I follow Jesus equals I'm a Christian, or I follow Jesus and I'm a whatever. Like this this word has its definition in in our minds. This is very literal. They stopped what they were doing, and they just followed him. Just walking. I, was, I was thinking like this. Um, so I'm a retail store manager. I, I work at a, at a music store, and um, so this is how I would think about this. I'm walking, walking around my store, and all of a sudden Jesus walks in, and I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen him around. I know he's a rabbi with authority, and he walks up to me and he goes, "You, you follow me." And I would stop what I'm doing and I would just follow him wherever he's going leave my store okay I'm going and what if he kept walking and he starts walking down the road and I'm like okay I'm following you maybe he's saying something maybe he's not saying something maybe he started teaching me maybe he hasn't but I'm watching and I'm like a child I know exactly I know exactly how he's moving and I'm seeing it Maybe start to, you know, you got those people in your life that you, you really think that they're cool or whatever. You really, you're like, oh, that guy, he says that thing. I used to have a boss, and he was always like, sweet. He just goes, sweet. And so I started, it was never a conscious thing, but like, I started doing it too. <laughs> I was like, sweet. Um, and it's like that. So you're, you're following him. And then what if he walks into another music store? And he goes up to another store manager, and he goes, you, follow me. And I'm, I'm like, him? Him too? Do I keep going? I don't, all right. So now I'm following, and this guy's following too. And I bring it up because he walks by two fishermen, and then they keep going, and he walks by two more. And he wants them to come too. Now, flesh this out a little bit, just for a second. 
what are they doing with the fish? They're going to sell the fish, right? They don't just eat fish. They're going to sell some of the fish so that they can get some money so that they can eat other things too. They need bread, you know. So where do they go? You go to the market. So you got Peter and Andrew, and they got their little booth set up, and they're selling fish. And you got James and John down here, and they got fish. I'm like, hey, come get my fish. They're competitors. And Jesus goes, you come, come follow me. Jesus doesn't just do it with fishermen. He brings a tax collector along too, later. Now the tax collector is the one who's sitting there while they're fishing and they bring the fish in and the tax collector is going, okay, I'm going to take these. And then he goes to the market and he undercuts their price so that he can sell his fish faster and he goes and he gives a lot of the money to the Roman government. So you got all these guys competing and now they're following Jesus and Jesus is saying stuff like love your enemy pray for those who persecute you and you don't have to think very hard you don't have to look around to figure out who he's talking about you're sitting beside them you're walking with them and it gets worse. The further that Jesus goes, he starts collecting all kinds of people, men, women, upper class, lower class. He starts collecting everyone. He even collects a guy who's called a zealot. This is a group of people who they wanted to bring the kingdom of God, but they brought it with the sword. They had an assassin league that would go around assassinating people that they didn't think needed to be in the power position that they were in because they were constantly trying to bring the kingdom. And Jesus goes, you, zealot, come and follow me. And you got a zealot sitting there thinking and listening as Jesus says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus had a diversity of people. Jesus had a diversity of thought. All huddled around him. All hearing the same words. All trying to understand them differently. And I'm sure that they would talk with each other, right? I think this, I think this. But in the end, they were all following Jesus. And the main goal was, how does he view this? How does he see this? And they just had to sit with this. You have to see it. They couldn't not see it. Jesus didn't care who you were. He didn't care how good you thought you were. He wanted everybody. 
He wanted the least of these. And he believes that they can be like him. And the same is true today. Diversity of people, the diversity of thought. I think, I think that we have an opportunity. I think that we have an opportunity with diversity of thought to really hear each other, to really listen. Sometimes I've, I've noticed as I listen to us and I watch us and I observe us, that we tend to kind of keep any hot-button topics down a little bit so that we can create unity, I think. I think it's a good reason. But as I'm, as I'm trying to follow Jesus, as I'm trying to, to figure out what is this supposed to look like, I can't help but think that there's probably a value in us talking with each other about things that are really important things to talk about. And it would be hard because you'd have to let the gospel bear on your life. You'd have to not like what somebody else might say when the zealot goes, I don't know, maybe we should just... And you go, I don't, I don't think... But I think the way that they would talk is they go, no, I, I was talking to, to Jesus, and remember Jesus said, because they were just trying to be like him, and they would have to lay aside everything that was not like him. And I think we'd end up laying a whole lot of things aside because they just weren't like Jesus. So, that's what they did. What are we going to do? It's your turn. It's my turn. What do we do? He believes that you can be like him in all the ways that you can be like him. He wouldn't ask you to follow him if he didn't. The question is, is will you? And there's some things that I think hold us back. I think the way that we view time holds us back. We have things like me time, private time, downtime. Downtime's usually phone time. We don't have anything called open time, unscheduled time, available time. I'll drop anything for you time. And what, what it is, what has happened is that we've missed this one part, I think. When Jesus asks you to follow him, part of what he's asking for is for you to just push everything away. Stop doing what you're doing and follow me. But what we tend to do is, this is my life. you know what, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. And we take that and we go, hmm. Uh, Sunday morning, okay. Uh, 
Oh, they're talking about community groups. I can maybe join one of those. I'll squeeze it. No. No, I have that other thing that I really... There. That's convenient. Cool. Right? This is how we tend to be. Just to be honest. I do this too. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not... We all do this. But that's not what Jesus is asking for, if I'm just being honest. And I have to live with this, right? When we see Jesus and we hear his words and they're convicting on us all, because I do this too. What he's asking for is for us to go, okay, Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's my identity. I no longer define myself by the way that I look in the mirror. I no longer define myself by what I, what I do and how, who I have relationships with, who I don't have relationships with. I define myself as someone who follows Jesus. That's who I am. That's it. Nothing else. Okay. I need to go to work. What does it look like to go to work? Jesus, show me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need to go visit my parents. What does that look like? Show me. Help me. Jesus, I have this extra time. I got, you know, yeah, maybe sleep for eight hours. In an ideal world, sleep for eight hours. Uh, <laughs> Some of you are like, eight hours, 12 hours. Um, but we have time where we sleep, we have time where we work, and then we have time where we play, right? We kind of divide up our life like that. And we got playtime. Now the question is, how are we using it, and where's the priority? Are we going, okay, playtime? Or do we go, I follow Jesus, how do I use my playtime? What do I do with this? How do I spend it wisely? as one who follows Jesus, learning what he knows so that it can change the very essence of who I am so that I can be more like him. So, a couple of thoughts, a couple of things. Two ways to battle this kind of selfishness, really. Um, one is reading the Gospels. Unfortunately, he's not physically, tangibly right here in front of us. But we have his words recorded by some of his faithful followers. We have the opportunity to watch and see how he moves, how he behaves, how he acts. How does he treat certain people? How does he interact in certain situations? Does he ever get snarky? Can I get snarky? And we just start looking and we start seeing and start observing and the more and more that we read it, and the more and more that we hear about it, and the more and more that we talk about it, it starts to pop up. We're doing something, and we're like, oh, this is how Jesus would do this. I've seen this. I've seen this before. This is what I do. This is how I be like Jesus here. And so we should read the Gospels. And then there are other people amongst us. I wish that, like, I wish it was like in a video where I could just, like, they would just, like, get highlighted or something. Your little arrows would pop down above your head. 
But there are people that are already on this journey. There are people that are a lot further along. And they've been working on this. They've been doing this for years and years. You should find them. You should get around them. You should begin to watch and observe and learn. What does it look like? Conservation of energy or something like that, right? It's like, if you do it all by yourself, you can only get so far, but if you're looking at all these other people that have already been doing it, you can glean all that wisdom and all that information, right? Not so that you have it, not so you say, look at all this information I have. So you can do something with it. So you can live, you can really live. Those of you who are that person, you should make yourself known. You should take out little pieces of time and push them aside and go, I'm going to grab somebody and I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to share with them what I have. Jesus has given me so much. I should really give it away. I figured out a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff I'm still working on, and I'm probably both, right? I'm probably, I can probably share information, but I could probably also learn from others, right? And I think that's the ideal spot if we're kind of in the middle. Have somebody pouring into us, and then we're pouring into others. So, what's the end result The end result is that Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's this very thing. It's disciples who go and they make more disciples. Matthew says it in a different way at the end of his gospel. He says, all authority in heaven and earth was given to me and I'm now giving it to you. Go and make disciples. Do what I just did. Take the journey that I just took you on and begin to take others on the same journey. That's, he didn't just say that for pastors or professional paid Christians or any of that stuff. He says that to every single person who follows him. And he's asking you to follow him. That doesn't mean that it starts now. It may not start now, Right? Peter doesn't start collecting disciples for himself right away. He begins to learn from Jesus. But the end result of following Jesus is that we become fishers of men, fishers of people. So, I'll leave you with a couple of things. This has made a profound impact on my life. I am more grateful than I can ever express for the people in my life who were willing, who were willing to cut out time 
and spend it with me. I'll tell you, I'm, there's too many. Um, when, you, when you begin to, to start seeing Jesus, here's a problem that happens. You, you start seeing Jesus and you start seeing Jesus and other people, you just want to spend time with them. <laughs> You're just like, I just want to know what it looks like. And so you just, you got to collect. You just start collecting, right? There was this guy, Brett, and I learned what prayer was really like for Brett. I learned what love was like from Rodney. I used to tour in a band. And uh, whenever I was at home, uh, there was this married couple, uh, Debbie and Gordon, the Coops. And uh, they changed my life. I said, you come. You come and just live with us. You're on the road all the time. You guys don't make any money. Just come put your stuff here, and whatever you're in town, you got a room. Okay, cool, sweet. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> Storage units are expensive, um, and they really stink to sleep in. Uh, and so when we weren't on the road, I was living at the Coop's house. Come downstairs, there's Debbie. Gordon, they're having a conversation, and I begin to see what does it look like for a married couple to fight well, because they didn't hide it. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to have a fight, let's go in there. <laughs> they wanted me to see, and I wasn't the only one there, it wasn't just the three of us. They had opened up their home so much that an entire youth group could just pop in at any given moment. They would just show up. And the coops, it was definitely not like Baltimore. Uh, their door was unlocked all the time. Uh, you could, I actually drove by one time. I'm like deliriously tired. I'm like driving back from Memphis or something. This is in Arkansas. And, and I'm like, I can't stay awake another minute. And so I pull off and I go to the coops house. It's like three o'clock in the morning. And I walk up to the door, and it was the coolest thing because I never even thought to think, will it be unlocked? Will I have to wake them up? I just walked up to the door and opened it and went upstairs. And the only thought that I actually thought was, man, I hope somebody else didn't think the same thing as I did, and they're already in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) But if they were, I'd go sleep on the couch. Um, But that was just their home. They wanted me to see. They wanted everyone to see. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Learned how to fix cars. Learned how to talk to girls. Learned how to relate. Learned how to have good arguments. Learned how to have healthy disagreements and dialogue. Learned how to read the Bible. All because someone was willing to open up their life. And they were busy. (laughs) Gordon wasn't a pastor, 
Well, he was, but he wasn't a pastor pastor. He was an electrician. We would stay up, and I never thought about it until I had kids and, and I had other things going on and I had responsibilities, but we could be up until 2 o'clock in the morning and he would go to bed and he'd be up at 6 to go to work. He gave everything for us. So, what does this mean for us? I think the Holy Spirit needs to speak into our lives because we're all in different places. And I can't tell you exactly for you what God's saying to you. He gave you the Holy Spirit for that. But I can point out these things. I can tell you how they have affected me. So, as we come to the table, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to come and take the bread and take the cup, and we remember that Jesus didn't just live, he also died. And he also undied. I say it like that because it's, that's weird, and we say stuff like resurrected, and it just becomes like, okay. I don't know anybody else who's undied before. <laughs> so we come to the table. As you come, a couple of things. Remember all the parts of Jesus' life. And think about all the parts in yours. Are there parts that you're withholding? Are there parts that you're unwilling to give up? Because they have a higher value than following Jesus? I would offer the opportunity to give those over today. As you come to the table, remember that Jesus suffered in your place to put to death those very desires, those very plans, and he's asking you to follow him. Some of you may never have followed Jesus before, and this may be the very opportunity for your first step. I would encourage you to begin to see what it looks like in your life to follow Jesus to be like him because he believes that you can he's asking you to come come and follow me not because you're good enough I think we all wrestle with that right that we're just not good enough I hope that one day we become okay with not being good enough because Jesus is the one that's good enough it's not about us being good enough it's about the very fact that we're not. And he sees us. And he's calling us. He says, come. So come. The table is open.